Welcome to the Truth and Liberty broadcast. We believe we have a mandate to bring godly change to our nation and the world through the seven spheres or mountains of influence. To further this cause, we give away a product every week that will empower you to get involved in changing your life and changing our world. You can register for our weekly giveaway by subscribing at truthandliberty.net. You can also subscribe to our newsletter to receive weekly updates on guests, news, and much more. This is an interactive live cast, and we welcome your questions. To ask a question during the live cast, use the comment or chat features. Now get ready to dive into this week's topics with our hosts on location in Colorado, USA. Hello and welcome to our Monday Night Truth and Liberty live cast. I'm glad that you've joined us tonight. And tonight we have a good friend, Matt Staver. This man really, really was a blessing to us in 2020 when he's the one that helped us file lawsuits against the Colorado governor and he defended us and praise God we won. And he's been a blessing and he's got some great news. He's won some cases recently, mm -hmm. nine to nothing. Yeah. Uh, Skunk. And so we've got some good news. He's going to be sharing with us about what's happening with this uh, uh, draft that Alito wrote about Roe versus Wade. And um, anyway, I think this will be very, very informative. Amen. So looking forward to it. Last week we had on Tony Perkins. Man, yeah. we've had two heavy hitters yeah, here. Right. That are just All-stars. What a blessing to have them with us. So this is Richard Harris, and he's going to share with you about how you – can participate and also we've got uh, meetings coming up, different things. So yeah. Richard, I'll let you give them the details. Thank you, Andrew. And it's great to have Matt with us. And thanks to all you guys for joining us tonight. Uh, I tell you, you need to uh, share this one with your family and friends, get them around the TV and watch this because we're all gonna learn some stuff tonight. It's gonna be great. Uh, Andrew mentioned this is an, uh, you know, how you can participate tonight. So if you're uh, watching on our website, you can just put your comments and questions there in the chat function or on Facebook in the comment section. Uh, really, really encourage any of you who are watching on YouTube to jump off there and go over to our website directly uh, because there you're not gonna get censored. YouTube doesn't like Matt Staver, we found out. And so <laughs> So they tend to uh, cancel his appearances on our show because <laughs> he calls it the way it is. But jump over there onto our website and uh, you'll have a better viewing experience there. Um, speaking of that, be sure to check out our resources page. Um, we're always adding new material there. Um, you can find our report on the harmful effects of pornography. It's a, it's a really uh, thorough uh, scholastic look at the data on porn and how bad it is for our country. Also, iVoterGuide has a lot of voter guides coming out right now for the primary and uh, runoffs that are taking place around the country. Uh, this is an election year, so check out the link there. And then also our one-page fact, uh, fact summary of the forensic reports on the Mesa County server, the, uh, the copy of the hard drive out there that was used in the 2020 election. You want to get that, you want to print it, you want to share it far and wide because you won't get that information anywhere else. Coming up here at Andrew Womack Ministries, we have some great events coming up. Well, the first one's actually not on site, but it's in Fayetteville, Georgia, June 10th through the 11th. If you live in that area, please come check out uh, the uh, Awakening 2022. Uh, you can register at awmi.net slash events for that. And Andrew's going to be ministering along with Mario Murillo, E.W. Jackson, and others. It's going to be a fantastic event there in Fayetteville. Uh, also, in God We Trust, it's uh, amazing, but summer's right around the corner. And our July 4th holiday, uh, it's become a tradition now to put on the In God We Trust performance. It's a patriotic musical that will remind you of the great events in America 
American history and uh, why it's why we're so blessed to be Americans. I love that show. It's awesome. So July 3rd and 4th, you can register for that again on awmi.net slash events. And then immediately after that is the Summer Family Bible Conference, the, one of the highlights of the year here. It's so much fun. You get your batteries recharged, get full of God's Word, and some awesome, amazing uh, fellowship and fun times for you and your family. Uh, are you a subscriber to Truth and Liberty? If you're not, uh, please subscribe today. You'll be glad you did. When you do, you'll start receiving our emails and blog posts and articles, and we'll uh, Put your name in a hat and you'll be eligible to receive a free product in the mail. This week, the free product is going to be uh, More Grace and More Favor. This is Andrew's book on humility, the power of humility. You know, the Bible says that uh, God gives grace to the humble but resists the proud. So which one are you? If you're struggling, maybe you need to humble yourself before the Lord. But this is a great book. So subscribe today and be eligible for that. By the way, last week's winner was Liza West. You got you be, uh, won lessons from David. One Is of my this favorites. our Liza West that works for us? Gosh, that's a good question. I, I don't know. Is. That's the only Liza West I know. Well, uh, well, awesome. Great, Liza. Yeah, good job, Liza. Um, and then uh, also, uh, we do what we do here at Truth and Liberty. I tell you, we're really, really and truly, Andrew, we're reaching thousands of people all over the country, even all over the world. Uh, we're carried on CTN and other places, podcasts, livecasts, emails, action alerts, events, conferences. If you want to be a part of this and mobilizing the church and, and helping us do what we do, you can do that by becoming a member today. Just go on our website to the donate page, click uh, donate, and select the option for being a member where you make a contribution of $5 or more per month, automatic giving there, and you'll become a Truth and Liberty member. And we'll send you our gift now is the, de the this copy. Uh, of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States, as well as Andrew's own Declaration of Dependence Upon God. It's an awesome little resource for you to have, and uh, we'd be glad to send that to our new members today. So last thing today is if you need prayer, you want someone to agree with you in prayer, no matter what the need is, please feel free to call in to Andrew's Phone Center at 719-635-1111, and a Spirit-filled, Word of God trained prayer minister will be standing by to agree with you in prayer. Well, by way of introduction for Matt, uh, it's two pages long. <laughs> this man is well accomplished. He's the senior pastor, founder, chairman of Liberty Council, chairman of Liberty Council Action, Faith and Liberty, uh, National Pro-Life. Anyway, on and on it goes. He's argued cases in front of the Supreme Court. He's pastored churches, uh, 300, um, what is that, 300 opinions are published, legal opinions, and on and on, Matt, we could go a long time, but I'd rather have you share. But let me just introduce you by saying that you were super blessing to us in 2020. And any time we needed help, you were there for us day and night, and your team just was awesome. And you did it all pro bono, which that mm -hmm. was awesome. Mm -hmm. So we thank you very much, and welcome to our Truth and Liberty. We're glad to have you with us tonight. Well, thank you, Andrew. It's an honor to be with you and Richard, and uh, we so much admire you and respect uh, you and your ministry. It has such an incredible worldwide uh, impact, and it was certainly an honor uh, to work with and represent you in this amazing case against Colorado where they wanted to literally micromanage uh, your worship and mm -hmm. tell you what you could and couldn't do. And tell you whether you could even meet. I mean, it was unbelievable. And I tell you, the health department gave us fits. But, you know, after those two lawsuits and finally the uh, two uh, churches in New York went to the Supreme Court and when they won, 
Governor Polis here in Colorado, he just wrote me a letter that says, I'll leave you alone if you'll leave me alone. And I said, you got a deal. <laughs> and now they don't even act like we exist. We just, they've treated us with total immunity. So mm -hmm. that's good. It's awesome. So uh, we, I guess, need to start talking about the leaked um, opinion piece by Alito about Roe versus Wade. That's the hot topic. And you being a lawyer that has argued in front of the Supreme Court, we want to hear your opinion on what's happening, whether it's going to pass, what kind of impact this could have. Well, last week, Monday, it was a big, big day. Um, Monday around 10.05, we got a 9-0 decision in our case uh, against the city of Boston on the Christian flag. And then that evening, we started getting words about this leak of the opinion, same day. Uh, interestingly, there is some suspicion by some. Of course, we don't know who the leaker is. That's being investigated now. But there is some suspicion that it was a law clerk. These are people graduated from law school who are practicing attorneys. They have a law or bar license that work for the justices. It may have been one of those particular clerks that was angry, pro-abortion, that leaked this. The one that uh, some people have raised their name actually was a resident of Boston, which is interesting that our case was out of Boston, maybe didn't like that particular case, but certainly was angry against these majority opinions that were floating around that had been circulated since February and wanted to leak that. So this came out a week ago on Monday, May the 2nd. And when I read the Politico article, I wondered whether that was actually true, but the Politico article had all these facts and details and it sounded very true. And then I got a copy of the actual draft opinion written by Justice Alito. And I realized immediately, this is an authentic opinion. Well, the next day, Chief Justice John Roberts said that this is actually the draft opinion. Uh, he said, however, that since it's a draft, it's not been officially released, so it's not an official opinion of the court until it's actually officially released. This is a 98-page opinion, opinion written by Justice Samuel Alito. It represents a majority at least five, perhaps six justices of the Supreme Court. Uh, it was circulated to the rest of the justices in February of this year. The argument occurred, of course, last December, the first week of December. At the end of that week, on the same week of the argument, the justices voted, so they would have known internally since the first week of December 2021 which way this was going. Alito was given the assignment to write the opinion. So December, January, and then early February, he circulated this 98-page draft, and that has been in the hands of the other justices since then. They have been either writing their concurring opinions or their dissenting opinions, and obviously I think there's going to be at least three dissenting opinions. So we don't know what those look like, but those are in the drafting process. They should be getting close to being completed. But in the meantime, this is nearly unprecedented to leak something like this, at least of this kind of draft. We know that back in 1973, the actual vote on Roe v. Wade was leaked to the media. The clerk of the court thought that the clerk was giving just general information to a reporter to have background to write the article saying which way the court was ruling. Uh, but the Chief Justice Warren Burger delayed the release of the opinion, and so the magazine came out with it before the Supreme Court mm. issued yeah. it. That resulted in Chief Justice Warren Burger being very upset, imposing these new strict 
confidential laws and rules that govern the court. And, and whoever it was that violated it violated those strong, stringent rules to the point where they actually released this opinion. So it literally sent shockwaves. I can tell you we can talk about the contents of the opinion, but it is a superb opinion, right. Andrew, that overrules the terrible 1973 Roe v. Wade abortion decision and the next uh, series of cases, the 1992 Planned Parenthood versus Casey decision, literally wipes the decks clean of the Supreme Court abortion decisions and returns the issue to the state. So the battle's going to be on the federal level in Congress. We'll talk about that. And then also on the state level. Uh, but again, it's not official until this is officially released, and we pray that that is done quickly. All right, so Matt, you, uh, I think I understand, but there's a lot of people that think yeah. that if the Supreme Court overturns Roe versus Wade, that abortion is just outlawed. Uh, explain what will actually happen if, if Roe versus Wade is overturned. What it does, uh, Andrew, is it turns the clock back to prior to January 22, 1973. At that time, abortion was regulated in the states, and every state had some restriction against it. Most states criminalized abortion. Some of those laws are still on the books that were never removed. Those laws will come immediately back into effect. And then there's about 13 other states that have trigger laws that if Roe versus Wade is overturned, they'll ban abortion. On the other hand, what it does, it turns the clock back prior to 1973 of January 22, which means the battle is going to be on the state level. So the majority of states will have laws or will pass laws that will severely restrict or totally ban abortion. Uh, but then there's going to be some other states that are already positioning to pass laws, even constitutional amendments they're pushing to codify abortion, to uh, pass abortion in their state laws. And uh, that also is happening, Andrew, on the federal level. In fact, this week, in fact, today, the uh, Senate uh, leader, Chuck Schumer, is pushing a very radical abortion bill. And today he voted for what's called cloture to begin the clock ticking so that by Wednesday at the earliest, they can vote on a very radical pro-abortion bill that's more radical than Roe v. Wade. And if that's ever passed, then we'll have abortion like Roe v. Wade, but continuing not by court order, but by federal order, and that will override all the individual states. So that's a very significant concern. Uh, we can talk about some of the logistics on that, but what you're going to have is this dual battle on the federal level, and I think the, the uh, frantic people in Washington see that the handwriting is on the wall, doesn't look very good for some of the party there in the November election, so they're trying as hard as they can to push some kind of radical abortion bill before these November elections. Then you're going to have continuing battles both in the legislation as well as constitutional amendments on the state level. So you're going to have a patchwork in the United States is what I think uh, we're going to see. Well, you know, we need to celebrate the fact that this is overturning Roe versus Wade, which that would yeah. be a huge accomplishment. Huge. And how many states already have laws or they have trigger laws? Uh, there will be just really a handful of states that will really be liberal pushing abortion if Roe versus Wade is that, overturned. 
That, that's right. I mean, this, uh, Andrew, this is, we, you know, we've worked with on this, and, and so many people have worked and prayed for 50 years. This has yeah. gone on for 50 yeah. years. Mm -hmm. 60 plus million babies have died. This is a historic, historic moment. And we just pray that this uh, decision is official release so that it's official and it's gone, that history's over. And then you're right, there's only going to be a small number of states that are radically pro-abortion. California, for example, New York, some other states. Colorado. Your state of Colorado is going to be a big challenge. Um, there's going to be a handful, but there's going to be the majority, the vast majority of states are yeah. going to ban abortion. And I think what you're going to see are blessings and curses on those uh, that protect life versus those that continue to destroy life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very good. And uh, so they are going to try and ram this um, pro-abortion law through the Senate, and they don't really have the votes to get that passed, but then that brings up the filibuster, and they're trying to kill that. So explain, explain all of that to us. Yeah, so this vote, uh, they're going to do a two-step uh, process. Uh, first, they're going to vote on this abortion bill. It's a very radical bill. There are several bills in the Senate, and they're not going to have the 60 votes to overcome the filibuster. They may have the 51, counting Kamala Harris, but they don't have 60. So when they don't get the 60, they're going to come back and they're going to try to abolish the filibuster. It only takes 51 votes to abolish the filibuster. And so here's the dynamic. You've got two Republicans, Collins and Murkowski, that are pro-abortion. And they have their own bill that they've put forth that would codify Roe. So it's very liberal. It's just not as liberal as the one that's coming up for a vote that actually is worse than Roe this week. So they already have that on the deck. The question is, when that bill won't pass because they can't get 60, would they be willing to abolish the filibuster? That's going to be a big test for them. On the other hand, you have some Democrats. Cinema from Arizona, she is very pro-abortion. But she doesn't want to get rid of the filibuster. Would she change because she is so committed to abortion to get rid of the filibuster? We don't know. On the other hand, you have Casey, a Democrat out of Pennsylvania. And he says he's pro-life, but he's in favor of getting rid of the filibuster. So you have this interesting mix. And you also have Manchin, who doesn't want to get rid of the filibuster and says he's pro-life. And I have to, you know, put quotes around pro-life because yeah. it depends upon how extensive they are pro-life. Mm -hmm. So you've got this interesting dynamic. The, the bottom line is that the vote is so close, all they need is 51, and really they just need 50, and then Kamala Harris can break the tie. All they need is to cobble together 50 votes, and if they do that, they have Harris to break the tie, and that would abolish the filibuster. Then they come back and they pass abortion with the 51-vote margin. And that opens the floodgates for the Parade of Horribles, the LGBTQ bill that has no religious exemptions. That's H.R. Uh, 1. The H.R. 4, which is the election fraud bills, they want to get that passed before this upcoming election. They have the Build Back Better, the socialist bills, all these other pro-socialism bills, big government. All those would be passed in very short order without the filibuster. Mm. Okay, Matt, just quickly for the sake of some people, the filibuster is something that uh, you can't pass things in the Senate 
uh, without 60 votes, which is more than a simple majority. And that is just another check and balance so that the minority is just not totally run over roughshod. And that has been tradition for a long time. They're wanting to abolish that so that they can ram through these radical bills before they get voted out of office. Is that about correct? That's exactly right. It's because of that filibuster that uh, we've been able to stop all these radical bills in the Senate because the House has a majority of about a handful of Democrats that have passed pretty much any radical bill you can imagine when they all vote in one block. Then they push it over to the Senate. Then we've had the battles in the Senate since uh, January of 2021 when the new Senate was um, sworn into office. And they pushed the LGBT HR1 and the HR4 with the election fraud and the Build Back Better socialism bill and all the other socialism bills. And fortunately, we've been able to stop it by one or two votes. That's how close it has been. It's been very close, but we've been able to stop all these very radical bills. If, on the other hand, the filibuster is gone and they don't get that and they don't have to have 60 votes, all they need is 51 with Harris breaking the tie, they just need a 50-50 split, then all these radical bills, including this abortion bill, will pass. And they're frantic because they're looking at the upcoming midterms and they know that they don't have a very good chance of winning, that they're going to lose power in both the House, most likely, and certainly in the Senate as well. They're going to lose authority. And if they don't get things passed before the election or you know, before they're seated in January of 2023, uh, they know they're not going to get uh, whatever radical bill they want. So it is like a frantic animal that is injured and is fighting for its life mm. and is rabid. And that's the kind of vitriol. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of panic. That's the kind of frenetic kind of uh, effort that they're putting forth to pass this. So the pressure is enormous. And so right now, election laws, men competing in women's sports, the Equality Act, things like this are still decided somewhat on a local level. But if they do away with the filibuster, they would make this federal law that just across the board would turn all of this ungodliness mm -hmm. loose. Is that correct? That's right. And, you know, we worked for 50 years. I, about 20 years ago, felt very strongly the Lord just... Uh, you know, convicted me that I would live to see the day that Roe versus Wade is overturned. And I've never had one doubt about that. I think we're literally on the precipice of history. And it's not going to just affect America, because as you know, as your yeah. world travels and your world outreach, other nations look to the United States as an example. It's going to have a ripple effect around the globe when the Supreme Court does this. But that has, you know, we're right on the precipice. Imagine, though, that we're right there. And, and then everything is turned around because the Senate, by one vote, passes this radical abortion bill and continues the bloodshed for the rest of our lives up in the United States Congress. And that then superimposes on all the states and overrides all the existing laws of the states. For example, no more, if this law passes in Congress, no more parental notification, parental consent, no more informed consent, no more requiring that doctors have to have hospital admitting and privileges, which these abortionists generally can't qualify for that because they're generally low-level doctors that couldn't do much anything else. Uh, they wouldn't be able to regulate uh, waiting periods and ultrasound and so many other things, clinic regulations. They 
wouldn't even be able to ban some of the things such as partial birth abortion, where they breach the baby, bring him out or her out, except for the head, and then puncture the base of the skull, the soft spot, and suck out the brains while the baby's still alive. That's, That's that would all be, quote, legalized under this bill in the Senate. So it's very terrible situation. And we've got to let our senators know, stop this abortion bill and keep the filibuster. And I'm assuming that the equal or the uh, equity or whatever they call it, Equality Act, that that would make it so that you couldn't speak anything against homosexuality. Homosexuality would be presented as totally normal, forced on our grade school kids. And I tell you, it's opening up Pandora's box. It sure is. I know, for example, uh, that the ABA, the American Bar Association that accredits law schools, is now, as at the end of February, they have added to their accreditation standards uh, not only sexual orientation, but gender identity and expression. And they're going to some of these religious-based, faith-based law schools, and they're telling them that they need to now adopt a gender identity, gender expression policy. Well, that would mean that in these law schools, student, uh, a boy could say, I want to go into the girls' restroom. I want to uh, identify and be called and dressed as a girl. I want to wear high heels to class now and so forth and so on, and your staff and your professors and so forth. And if you don't do that, you'll lose your accreditation, be an accreditation standard violation. But if you have this, and that's a, that's a different issue, that's the ABA with regards to law schools get the Equality Act passed, and that puts that everywhere. From kindergarten on, every employer, every religious institution, every church is going to be under that. It's a very terrible bill, no religious exemptions whatsoever. And it's not just, uh, you know, boys and girls sports or in restrooms. It's however many, you know, 100 or so pronouns somebody wants to have you uh, refer to them from day to day. And if you don't use the right pronoun, you, the teacher, the the employer could be disciplined for violating civil rights or some other kind of law for harassment or whatever it may be. So this is a very terrible, terrible bill. It would pass, uh, and and they want to do this. They want to be able to abolish the filibuster. They haven't had the 50 votes to do it. The reason why they haven't had the 50 votes to do it is because Regarding abolishing the filibuster, you've had all 50 Republicans, including Collins and Murkowski, vote no. You've had two Democrats uh, who said they don't favor abolishing the filibuster, and that's Manchin and Cinema. So, so far, we're two votes away. We've been able to carry two votes of Democrats to not abolish the filibuster. We've been battling that for a year and a half since January of 2021. Now you get abortion in the mix, and you have a different dynamic. You have two Republicans who are pro-abortion. What are they going to do about the filibuster now? You have Cinema who's pro-abortion. What is she going to do about the filibuster? If we lose uh, two of those three, we're toast. And that means that they would have enough to get their 50 votes and then 51 with Kamala Harris to abolish the filibuster. That means Pandora's box is open. Abortion, the most radical bill you can imagine. 
the LGBT HR1 Equality Act, the election fraud bills, uh, and you name it, on and on and on. And, it, and then what will happen is there's a lot of other bills that we haven't talked about because the, the House pumps these out like they're water, uh, and they're sitting in the Senate. All these bills, much, much more could be taken up, and it would be a disaster. And am I correct in thinking that not only all the things you've mentioned, but if I'm preaching the gospel and if I say the homosexuality is a sin, now that's a civil rights violation, so they'd be coming after ministers? Yeah, think about it like this. Think about uh, you or anyone else doing something that would be very racist, racial, like a KKK equivalent kind of racist, uh, so forth kind of um, act or statement. It would be looked at like that. So what you think about what you cannot do legally, I'm not talking about biblically or morally. Obviously, we wouldn't do this biblically or morally, but what you cannot do legally respecting race, you would not be able to do legally respecting anything on the whole LGBTQ, and you add a few other letters of the alphabet they keep adding uh, on. Yeah. Couldn't do it. So, for example, you couldn't say, uh, you couldn't get up and preach, um, uh, blacks uh, should not use the white restroom. I mean, you wouldn't want to do that biblically or morally. I know that. But if you said that, somebody could have a civil rights action against you and, and, and uh, the ministry, right? Now, if you said that we're, in, this, uh, in this church, in, in this ministry, uh, we have a men's restroom for biological men and a women's restroom for biological women. Um, it would be put in the same category as if you said, because of your skin color or race, you couldn't use this restroom. You're only able to use that restroom, and so forth and so on. So that's how radical this LGBT Quality Act a bill would be. So can I, yeah. I want to make sure our viewers know about how they can make their voices heard. So Mac, you've got an action alert that's set up on this. Uh, can you tell folks how they can be a part of that? Yeah, sure, Richard. Uh, you can go to two different websites, and we'll have lots of information on both. LC.org, LC.org, which is our main Liberty Council website, LC.org. And then our 501c4, which is Liberty Council Action, LCAction.org, all one word, LCAction.org. And there you have the ability to sign a petition. And the other thing you can do, which is very urgent, and that is to send faxes. We like to do the faxes. Why? Because they're instantaneous, and the members of Congress can't turn off their faxes. Uh, they can throw your petition in the garbage, but they can't turn off their faxes. So those faxes go 24-7. And they, uh, they monopolize their fax machine, so to speak. And they're going to get the message one way or another if they're not going to respond. In fact, we actually had a Democrat who's now a Republican in the Congress. We asked him to, we were faxing him, this was two years ago, faxing him and others to support the Born Alive uh, Act. And uh, he called us and spoke to us twice and said, please stop faxing me. You're, you're taking up our fax, or our, our, we can't do anything. Uh, we support you. And he said, well, that's fine. We agree, we, we're glad that you uh, support this uh, bill, but you need to co-sponsor, put your name on it. Well, he was a Democrat, and the Democrats were telling him, you better not do that. So I said, as soon as you do that, we'll stop faxing you. 
And so you know what he did? This is a true story. He left the Democratic Party two years ago. He became a Republican. The first act as a Republican in Congress is he co-sponsored that bill. Oh, praise God. I thought you were going to say he outlawed faxes in Congress. Uh, <laughs> no. no, he hasn't That's done great. that. So if any now, of these he, radical he, he, bills passed, I'm assuming what would happen with that female member of parliament over in, uh, where is it, Holland? or Finland. The, Finland. Oh, uh, yeah. That kind of stuff would be normal, that she just That's right. defended her biblical belief on homosexuality against the Lutheran church. And because of it, she's been in litigation for, what, three or four years? Yeah, those kinds of things would happen <clears throat> all over the country. Um, so, I mean, uh, and, and this would really set um, a tidal wave happening because, say, the, the LGBTQ bill, the Equality Act, H.R. 1, requires all the state and local entities to pattern themselves after that as well. So you're going to have all these other state and local laws that will be enforced. And there will be some schools and some governments that will just be welcoming this. And I think it's the best thing to ever happen so they'll use it as an excuse there's others that are going to say this is terrible but they can't resist it because it's going to be a federal law so this will be affecting every aspect of every person young old whether you work or not whether you're a christian or not it's going to affect everybody it'll be transformative so you add that to abortion and, and the future of america doesn't look very good and so let me just clarify again for those that don't know that the House has a very slim majority of Democrats and they've already passed the Equality Act, all of the gender stuff and all of these voting laws. So that it's already done in the House. It's the filibuster in the Senate that is our firewall against all of this thing. And we're on the precipice of them trying to overturn and get rid of the filibuster. Yeah. Filibuster That's exactly uh, right. requires 60 votes, is that correct? Yes, to pass the filibuster, right. 51 to do away with the filibuster rule. Yeah, but I mean, if you, if, you, uh, if you didn't have the filibuster overturned, that means it takes 60 votes, which means that you right. have to have a super uh, majority, not just a simple majority, and that's been a firewall against all this radical stuff. Right. Yeah, and the reason why the filibuster is there is so what happens is the Senate has always been the slower of the two bodies. The House represents more people, and the Senate has always been the slower deliberative body because the House can react. And we've seen that historically, particularly since the Democrats have taken over. They've been very reactive, uh, almost like a whipsaw back and forth. And they push things over to the Senate. The Senate takes a little bit more deliberative time. So the filibuster is designed to allow any member of the Senate to actually call for more deliberation. And that would mean if there's not a consent to vote by everyone on the bill, then you're going to need 60 votes. And if you get that, then you vote on the underlying bill. Then when you vote on the underlying bill, you only need 51 votes to pass it. But in order to get there, you have to overcome this filibuster rule. And that's been there for a real good reason for many, many you know, years uh, to be part of those checks and balances. Now you knock that away, and it really begins to create almost a mobocracy in the Senate. It really changes what the Senate is designed to do. And so that means that all you need is 51, no matter what it is. 
And so with just 51 with Harris breaking the tie with this 50-50 split, all of these radical bills will come through, even if all the Republicans vote against and you have all the Democrats vote in favor, it's 50-50. Harris is going to break that tie as a 51st vote and all these bills will pass. And of so course we need to stop the abortion bill. We need to tell them don't vote for the abortion bill, vote against it and keep the filibuster. Yeah. And of course, Biden has already said he'll vote for all of this right. liberal stuff. So really the filibuster at the moment is the only thing that's standing between us and losing most of our freedoms that we've held dear for over 200 years. You know, we need to be praying, right. don't we? We need to be praying over this because I mean, this is a very slim majority, but there's good news on the horizon, and that is that, man, I think that these midterms are looking bad for the Democrats. The only thing is they may be panicking and be willing to overturn the filibuster. Of course, that's going to work against them after the November elections. But It'll, Yeah, it's going to work against them, but I think in the meantime, they're willing to burn down the Senate, you know, figuratively. They're willing to literally destroy the Senate. Uh, so that they can, it's almost like selling the soul so they can get a pot of porridge. It's not going to do well for them in the long term. But once they get these bills passed and in place, first, they hope that that will energize their radical base and they'll be able to get a few extra votes in November and hopefully regain or maintain power. That's what their their hope is. But secondly, if they don't uh, regain or they don't contain or continue power after November, which Right now, it doesn't look very good for them. It's going to be hard to undo yeah. laws that are already in place. It's harder to undo a law than it is to pass Well, that's, that's just like the liberals, the way they're responding to this leaked document about Roe versus Wade. They're saying this is our constitutional right, and they, and they just feel empowered when the truth is, you know, even Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you could comment on this a lot better than I could, but I read two statements by her that she said this was heavy-handed uh, Supreme Court ruling, Roe versus Wade, that she wasn't in support of it, even though she was for abortion, that the nation was headed that way, and she thought it should have been decided on a uh, state level instead of by this Supreme Court. So they're quoting her, but that's, that wasn't her stance at all. Yeah, you know, I think anyone who was partially intellectually honest, no matter how radically pro-abortion you are, they have to admit that there's no constitutional or historical or legal basis for Roe versus Wade, the abortion decision. It's just not there. It has never been there. And in fact, this draft opinion by Alito says that uh, Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. It's yeah. a masterful written opinion uh, by Alito, and I can't wait to see that officially released uh, because there is no justification for abortion. It was a raw judicial power that these justices never had. Back then, frankly, the churches should have risen up yeah. and the people should have risen up and said, no. This is not constitutional law. It's your opinion of seven people. And, and, and uh, we're just not going to follow that particular egregious um, you know, decision because it has nothing to do with the Constitution. Last thing before we go to some of our viewer uh, questions, uh, I know some people are thinking, but this is a Supreme Court ruling. How can you overturn that? What's our history on that? Have they overturned previous Supreme Court rulings? 
Oh, yeah, let's take a look at Dred Scott. I mean, who would defend Dred Scott now? Dred Scott said in that decision that, um, you know, the blacks were not full uh, citizens. Uh, They were not uh, protected under the Constitution, like somebody of a white skin color, for example, Caucasian. Who's going to defend that now? That was overturned by a Supreme Court decision. Uh, And so, you know, in the decision by Justice Alito, he tackles that very issue. And he goes uh, into case after case after case after case that have overturned these long-standing precedents. Just a couple years ago, the Supreme Court overturned a 40-year precedent with regards to forced union dues. It was wrongly decided when it was uh, issued 40-plus years ago now, uh, and they overturned it. And what Alito says is that what you're supposed to do is if a decision is bad, particularly if it's bad from the start, like Roe versus Wade is, Having a commitment to past precedent doesn't mean that you repeat the same mistake over and over and over mm-hmm. again. You fix the mistake. And that means sometimes you, you realize you've got to overturn these decisions because they're unconstitutional, had no basis in the law. And so he's got an incredibly nice uh, scholarly section that addresses that very point. So I heard Elizabeth Warren just screaming and yelling that the Constitution is being trashed. Actually, the Constitution yeah. is being upheld. That's right. They're going back to constitutional principles. Yeah, you're right. I mean, when you, the, the Supreme Court's only legitimate when it is interpreting the law according to its original intent and understanding and purpose. It becomes illegitimate, as it did in Roe versus Wade, when it cuts the tether to the Constitution, and it invents it by virtue of the justice's own personal ideological beliefs. Yeah. That's what it has done so many times. And in fact, that's what abortion has all been about. So it's, it's just the opposite. If you want to know what the truth is, just listen to some of these radicals on the abortions or some of these people that are pushing uh, so hard against this decision. And, and it's 180 degrees different than what they say. Yeah. Wow. So we got some questions. Oh, we've got a lot of questions here. <laughs> well, Matt, the first one out of the gate, this person, this viewer wants to know whether vaccine mandates are being used to purge the military from uh, conservatives and patriots. Do you have a perspective on that? Oh, yes. In fact, I have uh, long been saying over the last number of months that uh, the Biden administration and the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, are using the vaccine mandates to purge the military, uh, particularly of Christians and people of faith. It makes no sense. And I actually was in court a few weeks ago uh, talking uh, to the judge in open court where we were uh, there on an injunction for one of our Air Force uh, clients and said, you know, it makes no sense. We, we have all the mask mandates are gone. Even Hawaii doesn't have a mask mandate anymore. Uh, you have all the, e- even at the time, uh, a couple of weeks ago, you even had Fauci saying that the pandemic is over. He kind of modified that a little bit, but he says, we're actually exiting the pandemic. Uh, I don't put any weight in him, but it's kind mm. of interesting that he actually says that. Yeah. Uh, but you have all the bell curve. We're on the other side of the bell curve of Omicron. We know that the vaccines or these COVID shots are not protecting against Omicron. We know that the people are, who are getting the boosters and quad boosters, fourth booster, they're getting COVID. You know, we, we've seen that with Kamala Harris. We see it with the CIA director. We see it with so many different people that are getting COVID. So it's not protecting against COVID. 
We also know that it's injuring and killing people. Okay. And we know that in the military specifically. We know, for example, that in 2021, more people in the military died from the COVID shots in one year than have died in the military from COVID since the beginning of COVID. Wow. wow. More That's have died in statement. one year from the shots than have died from COVID since the beginning of COVID in the military. We know that for a fact. So the only logical explanation would be, why are they pushing this? And that is because they're trying to purge the military of these men and women. That's why we're pushing so hard, uh, Richard, to get a class action certification to protect all the men and women in all the six branches of the military. Is there any positive development on that front? There is. I mean, we've gotten a number of injunctions on behalf of men and women in uh, the Air Force, the Navy, the Marines, um, and others uh, that we're working on. But we're moving forward with this class action. The judge is open to it. He just hasn't issued it yet. I wish he would issue it quickly. He knows the urgency. He knows the uh, people are being injured and uh, that they're under incredible pressure. He knows that people are even self-admitting to the hospital. Um, these are military men and women because they're fearing that they might even self-harm, suicidal ideation that they're experiencing because of the pressure. We know people have died of suicide because of the pressure over these shots. Um, we know that for a fact, and, and we told the judge about this. We know that spouses, for example, just last week we had someone tell us his, his wife was, for example, he is in Korea. They won't let him come home. He's been separated from his wife and his nine-month-old child, who he's never seen now for 16 months. They won't let him come back unless he agrees to get the shot. Wow. His wife is uh, getting very, very emotional and um, is considering self-harm. He's pleading with us to help uh, because of what is happening emotionally with his wife and his family that, and his child that he has still never seen. He was born while he was uh, stationed in Korea. So this is happening all over. We advise the judge. He knows about all of this, and, and he knows the seriousness of what's happening in the military. It's abusive, and it's inhumane. Well, you know, Trump appointed more appellate court judges, I guess, than any uh, president. Has it made a difference? Are you seeing a difference in some of these oh, conservative Oh, yeah, it does judges? make a difference. The, sure does. I mean, the one that we have in our case, Judge Meriday, he was appointed um, before that, uh, long before that, um, under a Republican president. He's been a very good judge. But Donald Trump appointed some of the best judges across the board and more than any other president in just four years which is amazing what he could have done in, in the second four-year term. But that has made a huge difference with these uh, constitutional cases that we're litigating and others are litigating around the country. Praise God. That's great. Well, Matt, here's another interesting question. Can the person who leaked that uh, Supreme Court draft opinion, can they go to jail for that? I think they can certainly be punished. Uh, the extent of the jail, I, I'm not uh, clear on at this uh, stage. But there are clear rules uh, within the Supreme Court. They're not criminal rules. They're other rules. I can tell you, though, that if it was a law clerk that has a bar license, that person's career, as you know, Richard, would probably be toast um, because uh, that person would likely lose their bar license for uh, this unethical uh, thing that has uh, occurred. As they should. There will yeah. be punishment. I think they will find this individual. They are bringing in both the Capitol Police as well as uh, other law enforcement to find out who did it. 
Very good. Well, uh, this next viewer, Matt, uh, says, my two senators are radical Democrats. What can I do? My letters, calls, emails would fall on deaf ears. Is it still worthwhile to write or call? Yes, because uh, we are, uh, we understand there are some people, you're just not going to move them. It's going to be a waste of time to fax them. But we have others that you fax. And so, you know, when you get a fax, they don't know whether you're from Colorado or Oklahoma or Florida or Tennessee. So uh, they get the faxes and uh, we send them to, you can either do them several different options to the whole Senate, or you can do it to certain targeted people uh, that we're focusing on. So that's what we need everyone to um, come and, and join together and, and help collectively move this needle. Well, you mentioned earlier, going back to the uh, abortion issue, that it's harder to get a law undone than it is to get it passed the first time. So some yeah. folks on, on our chat here are asking, well, if we take back the House and we take back the Senate, can we undo these laws? What are your thoughts on that? Now, Joe Biden will be president for another three years, presumably. So, Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so if, say, it passed right now and then we had a new uh group of people that uh, took the majority in the House and the Senate come January when they're sworn in, that gives Biden two more years in office. So you, you know he's going to veto it, and we certainly wouldn't have the, the uh, super majorities in the House and the Senate to override that veto. We may have a majority, but we're not going to have that much of a majority. So uh, those bills would still be dead. So in other words, the, if the abortion bill passed, we'd have it at least for another two and a half years at a minimum. That's, that's a shame. Well, so um, here's another interesting question. This is on a different subject, but this person's saying that Michelle Bachman is sounding the alarm about a WHO vote, that's World Health Organization, on um, threatening U.S. sovereignty. Do you know anything about that situation? Yes, in fact, we have actually started to message on that, but we uh, paused our messaging so that we could focus on the abortion bill, but we will continue to message on that. And we actually have some information on that, that uh, at lcaction.org, lcaction.org. The WHO is the World Health Organization. Um, to kind of give you a little quick background, on the last day of March, they uh, pushed globally vaccine passports. As a result, India and Africa joined there's about 2 billion people now under about 87 countries that the WHO is pushing forward with this that have vaccine mandates in place. Uh, there's about 25 states that have or are considering vaccine mandates, plus the District of Columbia. So they've been pushing that to have vaccine mandates globally. They also have been pushing for this global pandemic treaty and the Biden administration is supportive of this global pandemic treaty. What would that do? That would give the WHO this global authority and it would become essentially the global CDC, but with enforcement powers. So we would have to then abide by the WHO. We would give up some of our sovereignty by this treaty, by signing this, by entering into this treaty to the World Health Organization that's already pushing the vaccine mandates, that already would dictate to us about what kind of vaccines or shots or social distancing, whether it's on COVID or anything else, that the entire planet would have to abide by. So it's a very serious issue. In fact, uh, Michelle called me uh, a couple of, about less than two weeks ago when we were talking about this issue here. We're gonna be very much focused on it. We're working with members in 
Congress to oppose this. And we'll be getting out more messaging on this right now. But again, you can go to lcaction.org for the messages that we have on the WHO uh, treaty. I hadn't heard about that one. Man, if that happens, I may just be staying home and doing everything by television. <laughs> told Donna we need to go buy a little island if we could and have our own country. No. <laughs> yeah, let's wow. let's all pitch in and buy one. God, I think God's not stuff. done with us. I no. think he's going to save all this. <laughs> I believe this stuff is stopping. It's not going to happen. Well, no, Matt, yeah. I don't know if you heard or saw about it, but there was a release of a Dinesh D'Souza documentary uh, over the 2000 weekend. 2,000 Mules. 2,000 Mules. Do you have any thoughts about what that uh, evidence, and I'm catching a little bit flat-footed here, but what it's showing and suggesting, did we have a fair election in 2020 and what's going on on the election integrity front now I, I have not had personally had a chance to see it some people in our liberty council office have seen it uh, they saw it over the weekend uh, my wife and i will see it soon i do know uh, the general contents of it and i know generally outside of that movie 2000 mules uh, what is in that particular movie and i think it is legitimate that uh, the election was not fair uh, that uh, the 2,000 mules basically is that you have all these individuals, mules, if you will, that's why you get the term mules, or people, carriers, couriers, individuals who are being paid to go out, put on rubber gloves so you can't get their fingerprints, collect all these fraudulent ballots, and then go back and forth and dump them into these uh, voter boxes that were set up all over in some of the Democratic strongholds in places like Pennsylvania and other places, these swing states where the election was actually tilted. So I, I think clearly that's illegal. Uh, we've already seen investigations where uh, legislators and or courts have said that kind of harvesting of ballots is illegal. It happened in a massive, a massive amounts in these particular states. Uh, so I think that happened and I think that made this election tainted and frankly illegal. So that's the way that they had planned to win. No wonder why Biden wasn't concerned about going out on the campaign trail. Yeah. No wonder why he wasn't concerned about having 12 people at his campaign rally because yeah. they had this other plan in place. So if any of this actually could be proven, which as far as I'm concerned, it is, but I mean, what's the potential of this? They can't overturn the election. What would this do it just help uh, the election uh, reform push I think you know at this stage we're um, you know we're a year and a half into this election cycle I, I doubt there has been historic situations in other local elections where fraud has been uncovered and the local elections have been overturned to do that on a national level this far in, I think that the, the chances of that, of a court doing it, would be virtually nil, just yeah. because of the, the pressure and the political blowback that that would cause. On the other hand, what can, be, what can come out of this if we can't overturn that? I, I think uh, a number of things are coming out of it, and that is a lot of these states are passing these election reform laws. That's the reason, Andrew, why they're wanting to push in Congress this HR for these election mm -hmm. fraud bills because they're very concerned by all these states passing election reform bills. Florida just passed one recently, and they passed several before this uh, in the last year. So there's been a big movement to tighten up the election, tighten up the voter rolls, stop these 
of ballot harvesting fraud situations. And uh, I think that will secure a more um, fair election. Uh, I think even without that, say, for example, in Virginia, now, Virginia didn't pass any election reform laws at the time because they were controlled for the last two years up until November of last year by a radical Democratic Party that took over. So they didn't have any new election reform bills. What happened is the people, though, organized in Virginia and they made sure that they went poll by poll mm -hmm. by poll to make sure all the votes that were cast were legitimate. And uh, they did a lot of organizing. In fact, some of our staff in our uh, Virginia office were very much involved in that. And they have a, a manual now that you can follow for the other states, even if your state is not receptive to election reform. Well, as a result, when the people got involved and they monitored these elections to make sure that they were not illegitimate, what happened in Virginia is this historic election where now you have a Christian, a pro-life, Republican, governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, and they've taken back control of the Senate uh, and almost, uh, you know, took out a, a huge number of people and replaced them with good conservative Christian pro-life individuals. Yeah, we so had one of our guests on our program who helped organize, I forgot, hundreds yeah. of people to go into the polls there in Virginia, and he said that that was yeah. the, how they overcame the fraud. Matt, we're just about yeah, out of time. How... We're down to our last minute. I'm sorry, but man, this has been super informative and I know our people have really enjoyed it tonight. Once again, would you give your website and tell them how they could benefit from that quickly? Absolutely. You can go to Liberty Council's website, lc.org, lc.org, or Liberty Council Action, lcaction.org, lc.org or lcaction.org. And I tell you, Matt Staver and Liberty Council have been a super blessing to our ministry. Yeah. And uh, I'd encourage viewers to go check them out and even become partners with them. We've uh, contributed some, but they've given us a lot more than what we've given them. So it would be good for you to bless them. Again, I want to say thank you to CTN for carrying this on their network for us. That's such a blessing. We really appreciate it. And to those of you watching, remember that we do this every Monday night at 6 p.m. Mountain Time. Uh, and we would love to have you continue to join with us. We'll have some other great guests. So God bless you. Good night. Thank you for watching. Join us next time for the Truth and Liberty broadcast. Find tonight's episode and related articles and links at truthandliberty.net. Truth and Liberty is viewer supported. If you'd like to help us continue our live casts, you can make a donation at truthandliberty.net. 